of all the characters who appear in the book of Revelation, the Antichrist is by far the most ominous. He will be the most powerful and ruthless leader the world has ever known, but he is no match for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. Join us as we take a closer look at the rise and fall of the Antichrist here on Foreshadows Report. Welcome to Foreshadows Report. This is Steve Miller. When Christians talk about the end times, the Antichrist very quickly comes to mind. More than 100 Bible verses describe his background, his rise to power, his character, and his conquest of the world. There is so much curiosity about him that unfortunately, there has been a lot of speculation about his identity and what he will do. God, in his perfect wisdom, has revealed only what we need to know about the Antichrist and nothing more. He has done this with good reason, and there's already so much to know about the Antichrist that there is no need for speculation. Let's look to scripture now for some of the key facts God has made known. Most of the book of Revelation is written in chronological order, but within the book are three intermissions. With each intermission, we step away from all the judgments being poured out on the earth, and we are introduced to the key characters of the end times. In the previous two episodes of Foreshadow's Report, we looked at the 144,000 Jewish messengers and the two witnesses in Jerusalem. These messengers and witnesses appear in the first, second, and third intermission in the book of Revelation, in chapters 7, 11, and 14. Now we're going to look again at the third intermission, this time in Revelation 13, and read about the Antichrist's rise to power. We'll be looking at other scripture passages as well. Then later in the book of Revelation, We'll learn about the Antichrist's fall. But before we begin reading Revelation 13, we should start with one of the most important facts about the Antichrist's appearance on the world stage. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 makes it clear he will not rise to power until after the rapture, or after the church is taken up to heaven. In verses 6 through 8, the Apostle Paul says the Antichrist will not be revealed until after the Restrainer, who is the Holy Spirit, is taken out of the way. Right now, the Holy Spirit's presence in the lives of all believers all over the world is acting as a restraint and holding back the Antichrist. But when all of us are raptured to heaven, that restraining influence will end. Verses 7 and 8 say that after he who now restrained is out of the way, then will the lawless one be revealed. Until then, the Antichrist will be held back. This means that the Antichrist's identity will not be known before the rapture. Until then, it will be impossible for anyone to figure out who he is. Another point to keep in mind is that after the rapture happens, there will be mass confusion all around the world. P. 
people will wonder why there were so many disappearances. The main effects of the rapture will be disruption and chaos everywhere. This will cause people to look for leaders who can restore calm and order. This is when the Antichrist will come on the scene as a new and promising leader. The seven-year tribulation won't begin immediately after the rapture. Instead, there will be a gap of time between the rapture and the beginning of the tribulation. The tribulation won't begin until the Antichrist signs a peace treaty with Israel, which we'll talk about in a moment. It is in that gap of time between the rapture and the start of the tribulation that the Antichrist will find opportunity to start his rise to power. Now we're ready to dig into the scriptures. Let's look in our Bibles at Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on his horn and blasphemous names on his head. Here the term beast is used to speak of the Antichrist. The book of Revelation describes the Antichrist as a beast more than 30 times. This speaks of his brutality and his wild nature, and it fits with what we read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, which calls the Antichrist the man of lawlessness and the son of destruction. He will be a cruel leader who unleashes devastation everywhere. We're told this beast will rise out of the sea. Revelation 17.15 tells us the sea represents the nations of the world or the Gentile. This informs us that the Antichrist will be a Gentile and not a Jew. Now, there are some people who wonder if the Antichrist will be a Muslim. One big reason that isn't likely is because Daniel 9.27 says the Antichrist will sign a seven-year covenant with Israel. No Muslim leader would survive in the Muslim world by promising to protect Israel to such a great extent. The Muslim world would reject such a leader. Nor is it likely Israel will place its security in the hands of a Muslim leader when the Muslim world has long hated Israel. And finally, remember that partway through the tribulation, the Antichrist will declare he is God. No Muslim would ever do that. They say Allah alone is God, and for anyone to claim to be God would be blasphemous. So we know from Revelation 13.1 that the Antichrist will rise from the Gentile world. In Daniel chapter 7, we find further clues about his origin. Here we read a prophecy about all the major world empires from the time of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon to the last days. In this prophecy, the world's great empires are represented by animals. Babylon is a lion. The Medo-Persian Empire is a bear. Greece is a leopard. And the ancient Roman Empire is a terrible beast. When we get to the last days, we're told about ten horns that rise up out of the beast. These ten horns are the revived Roman Empire of the future. They represent ten kings or powers of the end time. And in Daniel 7 verse 8, we read that from these ten horns came up another horn, a little one. 
prophecy experts tell us that this eleventh horn, a little one, is the Antichrist. We find confirmation of this as we read further. Verse 25 says this little horn will speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and a half a time. This lines up with what Revelation 13 verses 5 and 6 say about the Antichrist. There we read that he will utter blasphemies against God and will exercise authority for 42 months. The time, times, and half a time in Daniel 7.25 is the same length of time as the 42 months in Revelation 13.5. So the description in Daniel 7 matches the description in Revelation 13, which confirms that the little horn in Daniel 7 is the same person as the Antichrist in Revelation 13. The fact he is little tells us he will rise from obscurity. The other ten leaders, or ten horns, of this future empire will have greater authority at first. But then the little horn will rise to power quickly, and pass up all the other. He will be so brilliant, so cunning, so charming, and so deceptive that the world will adore him and want him as their leader. We're given more information about the Antichrist's rise in Revelation chapter 6. That's when the tribulation begins. In Revelation 6.1, we're told Jesus holds in his hand a scroll with seven seals. When Jesus breaks the first seal, the first of the tribulation judgments is unleashed. Verse 2 then speaks of a white horse, and on the horse will be a rider who carries a bow. We read that a crown will be given to him, and he will come out conquering and to conquer. Because the horse is white and the rider wears a crown, some people have concluded that this is Christ. But there are some problems with that interpretation. First, because Christ is opening the seals on the scroll, he cannot be the writer. Second, this writer carries a bow. But in Revelation 19, when we see Christ on a white horse, he carries a sword. This tells us we're looking at two different writers. Also, notice that the bow has no arrows. This means the writer will attempt to conquer the world peacefully. He will make great promises of peace. But then two verses later, we read that he will be followed by a rider on a red horse who brings war. This means the peace brought by the first rider will immediately be followed by war. And again, this means the first rider cannot be Christ. That's because when Christ returns, he will bring a peace that lasts forever. It won't be followed by war. So the rider on the white horse in Revelation 6 cannot be Christ. In fact, he is the Antichrist. He will imitate Christ, but the peace he brings will deceive many and will be followed by war. Third, the crown on the rider of the white horse in Revelation 6 is described using a Greek word that refers to a temporary crown won in athletic competition. Christ, on the other hand, wears many crowns that are permanent and that point to his stature as king. Also, notice that the crown in Revelation 6 is given to the writer. 
In other words, the authority he has will be given to him. But Christ does not need his authority given to him. He already possesses his authority by divine right. These four clues make it clear that the horseman in Revelation 6 is not Christ, but the Antichrist. When the tribulation begins, he will ride onto the scene with promises of peace. This will make him popular, and this is part of how he will rise from obscurity to great power. There are two more important facts about the Antichrist's background and rise to power, and they're found in Daniel 9, verses 26 and 27. In verse 26, we read that in the end time, the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Very simply, this says that the prince or ruler of the world's final empire will rise out from the people who destroyed the city and the sanctuary. The city is Jerusalem and the sanctuary is the temple. They were destroyed in A.D. 70 by the armies of ancient Rome. So the Antichrist will rise up from the people of ancient Rome. This tells us he will originate from Europe, which is made up of the land that formed the ancient Roman Empire. And finally, verse 27 says the Antichrist shall make a strong covenant with Israel for seven years. The signing of this peace treaty will mark the beginning of the seven-year tribulation. Keep in mind that for decades, there have been peace talks between the U.S., Israel, Arab nations, and the Palestinians, and there has been very little to show for it. The Antichrist will finally accomplish what others were not able to. This will get him a lot of attention and praise. And the fact he had the ability to back up this peace treaty tells us his rise to power will be fast. So far, we've seen that the Antichrist will rise from obscurity. He will be a Gentile, and he will come from the lands of the people who destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. Today, these lands form Europe, so he will rise from Europe. The fact he is called the beast speaks of his wild and brutal nature. And yet, he will promise peace to the world, and he will bring about a seven-year peace treaty with Israel that will kick off the tribulation. All of this will make him very popular, and people will want him to be their leader. Revelation 13.2 says that the dragon, who is Satan, will give the beast his power and his throne and great authority. The Antichrist will be empowered by Satan himself, and the Antichrist will go on to become the world's most powerful ruler ever. And who does Satan consider to be his greatest enemy? the Lord Jesus Christ. Through the Antichrist, Satan will do everything he can to attack Christ and destroy Christ's followers. In fact, the term Antichrist means against Christ or opposed to Christ. The Antichrist will be a counterfeit Christ. He will not only oppose the true Christ in every way possible, but he will present himself as a replacement of Christ. He will imitate Christ, and he will urge people to follow him and reject the true Christ. Moving on to Revelation 13, verse 3, we read about a seemingly miraculous event that will inspire the world to worship the Antichrist. Verse 3 says one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. Evidently, the Antichrist will suffer a wound that appears to kill him, 
and then he will supposedly rise from the dead. Note the emphasis on the word appears. In the ESV Bible, Revelation 13.3 says the Antichrist seemed to have a mortal wound. The Christian Standard Bible translates this as appeared to be fatally wounded. The NASB says as if it had been fatally wounded. So the Antichrist will appear to have miraculously defeated death and come to life again. There are some who believe the Antichrist actually will die and rise again. But the problem with that is only God has the power to create and give life. Satan did not. Also, only God possesses infinite power. Satan's power is limited. Revelation 13.4 then goes on to say how the world will respond to this supposed miracle. They worship the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worship the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? The entire world will marvel over the beast and worship him. It is very likely that this event is what will trigger what is known as the abomination of desolation. This will mark a horrifying turning point in the tribulation. The world dictator who promised peace to Israel will suddenly turn against the Jewish people. Daniel 9.27 says that at the halfway point of the tribulation, the Antichrist will break his peace treaty with Israel. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 3 and 4 tells us that the Antichrist will enter the holy place in the temple in Jerusalem and he will desecrate it declaring himself to be God. In making this claim, the Antichrist will make it mandatory for the world to worship him. Verses 5-8 through go on to describe the extent of the Antichrist's power at this point. The beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name in his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. This describes the beast or the Antichrist at the height of his power. By the halfway point of the tribulation, he will be the most powerful, most ruthless, most wicked ruler the world has ever known. He will break his peace treaty with Israel and go to war against the Jewish people. And he will go to war against those who follow Christ. He will go on a killing spree persecuting both Jews and Christians. As we saw a moment ago, the world will respond to the Antichrist's supposed resurrection by saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against him? In the eyes of those who live on earth, the Antichrist will appear to be immortal and indestructible. They will believe he is all-powerful and that there is no one who can defeat him. But the Bible tells us otherwise. While the beast's rise to power will be astounding, what happens to him at the end of the tribulation will be even more astounding. The Antichrist's great rise will be followed by an even greater fall. That's what we'll look at in part two in the next episode of Foreshadows Report. Thank you for joining me for this episode. As we continue our look at the main characters in the book of Revelation, 
We're discovering that while the world will seem out of control during the end time, God will be very much in control. His 144,000 messengers and two witnesses will proclaim the gospel worldwide, and they will do so with divine protection. And though the Antichrist will unleash great terror upon the world, his reign will be short, as we'll see in our next episode. In recent weeks, I've shared on this podcast about my new book coming out on October 10th. It's titled One Day Nearer. It's a collection of 365 devotions meant to instruct and inspire us as we wait for Christ's return. If you know people who have wanted to understand Bible prophecy better, but felt overwhelmed at trying to figure it out, One Day Nearer is a great way to introduce them to the subject. Each day's reading is one page long, which helps to break down a big topic into a lot of smaller pieces. Also, while One Day Nearer is a 365-day devotional, it's not tied to the calendar year. This means the book can be started at any month or day of the year. It's a great way to learn about all the high points of Bible prophecy from Genesis to Revelation. And the book's goal is to help us live with an eternal perspective every day, making the most of the time we have before Christ's return. One Day Nearer is now available for pre-orders at my website, stevemillerresources.com. Through the pre-order link, you'll find the book can be purchased from several different retailers. You'll find all the details at stevemillerresources.com. I look forward to having you join us for the next episode of Foreshadows Report. And I want to thank Harvest House Publishers for supporting this podcast.